Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. If you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to begin in the book of Acts chapter 2 this morning. Very fitting place to start. If you did not know, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's Pentecost Sunday, which uh, is a day that has been celebrated uh, for generations and generations, uh, even before the church. But uh, ever since the book of Acts, uh, we saw the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that took place on this day for the very first time. And we continue to see that happen uh, yet today. And I'm excited to be in church on Pentecost Sunday. Amen. I hope that you're excited to be here today on Pentecost Sunday. We are going to begin here in Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. And we're just going to read this one verse here this morning. It tells us that when the day of Pentecost was fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together in unity, and they were gathered in one place. Now, it's speaking of the 120 individuals who were gathered there on that day, and something incredible happened as God poured out His spirit on them in the house that day. And we're going to just take a a look at this, uh, what took place on that day here this morning. I uh, perhaps uh, giving just a little bit of background on this day of Pentecost would be uh, appropriate for us here today because this Day of Pentecost was something that had been celebrated by the Jewish people for uh, thousands of years leading up to this day. This was not a first time celebration. And so we, I just want to take a look just uh, briefly here at the history of the Feast of Pentecost. This Day was uh, the, the Hellenistic Jews, which those were the Jews during that day and age of the first century church, uh, those who had been influenced by the Greek culture and who were present there in the day of the New Testament. They began to refer to a certain Old Testament feast as the Feast of Pentecost. Now, this was Not the name of the feast that we read in the Old Testament, but the Greek word for the number 50 was the word penta. So this particular feast was connected to an earlier feast on the calendar that took place 50 days before the feast, uh, uh, before this date, and that was the Passover. The Passover being this uh, this day that marked the calendars that's so much of uh, the religious um, uh, celebrations were centered around the Passover, but uh, we see uh, we see other feasts as well that were celebrated. In fact, there were three biblically ordained feasts that 
had a pilgrimage attached to them. These three feasts that uh, on the Jewish calendar that were, were uh, you know, everything was kind of built around them. We see the Passover feast that I mentioned. That Passover feast, a, a celebration of when they were receiving, when the, the, the Israelites had received their exodus from the bondage in Egypt. That day when the death angel passed over their houses and on that night when Pharaoh eventually said, get out of here, you're, you're done. And uh, so they left on that day. They received their freedom on that day and it's celebrated. It was instituted that they would celebrate that day. And then we see the Feast of Weeks. And this is the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Weeks. In the, in the Hebrew, this word uh, in, that we would read in the Old Testament, this feast was Shavuot. And Shavuot is still the name that this is uh, referred to by the Jewish people today. Shavuot is celebrated as a feast still today by the Jewish people. And this feast came 50 days after the Feast of Passover. There was another uh, feast that uh, was also celebrated, and that was the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which was instituted when they, uh, the people first came into the Promised Land. And uh, there was uh, a, uh, a feast that was established for them to, uh, to remember their time in the wilderness. And so they would set up their uh, temporary dwelling places, such as they had in the wilderness, and they would go out. But these three feasts had importance upon in the in the Jewish calendars from those days forward. And this Shabbat, this feast of weeks, the festival of weeks, was first instituted in the book of Exodus, chapter thirty-four. Verse 22, we see it here, it says that thou shalt observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Now you see the year's end here, their calendar is, uh, is a different calendar than what we have today, but this was celebrated and instituted in scripture to uh, take place 50 days after the feast of the Passover. And this was a, a time that was uh, celebrating the ending of the grain harvest. Specifically here uh, of the wheat harvest. The, in the land of Israel in, in the ancient times, the grain harvest, it, it lasted for seven weeks. There was... At the conclusion of those seven weeks, a, a season of, of gladness, a season of celebration. And, and it began, uh, this, this seven-week period, it, it began with uh, the, the harvesting of the barley that took place during the Passover season. It ended with the harvesting of the wheat here in this Shabbat. And Shabbat was this conclusion of the grain harvest. And they were celebrating this conclusion. They're celebrating what God had provided for them. 
Now this festival, it, it goes, in, uh, goes by several other names. This feast goes by some other names in, in the Old Testament scriptures. We see in some places, and even in Exodus, that it was called the festival of reaping. Or in Numbers, it refers to it as the day of the first fruits. But this festival, it was the first day on which individuals could bring their offering of the first fruits to the temple in Jerusalem. Once that temple was constructed, this became the day when the people of Israel would come and they would gather all of their first fruits. Everything that had been harvested and the first of, of each of these different harvests, they would gather in, they would, they would store it up, and then they would make a pilgrimage to the temple. And on that day, they would uh, bring that as an offering to God, an offering of their first fruits. And it was celebrating what God had given them. It was a celebration of, of thanking God for the, the bountiful harvest that uh, God had provided or, or whatever harvest God had given. No matter if it was bountiful or not, it was, it was thanking God for His provision. In this largely uh, agrarian society of, of ancient Israel, the uh, Jewish farmers, they would take a, a, a reed and they would tie it around the ripening first fruits. And uh, of these different species of, of their fields of the, uh, you know, no matter what the harvests were and, and concluding now in the, in the wheat harvest, uh, during this time they would take this, they would cut it, and they would, they would put it in their carts. And it, it was said, I, I was reading about what that journey looked like for many of them as they would travel to Jerusalem. And it was said that, uh, many of them, they would they would place these first fruits in these these carts, and and they would even uh, they would even decorate it with uh, baskets that were woven with gold and silver, and and these baskets would then be placed on this cart, and and as they would pass through this the, the, the different towns, they would uh, have celebration. The people were celebrating them as they're coming through. They would they would throw uh, garlands of flowers and. Uh, they would they would throw all these other things on their carts in the celebration of what God had done, of the provision that God had given them. And it even it even came to where they would decorate the the temple in Jerusalem, and uh, on that day they would they would decorate it with uh, with flowers and they decorate it with with all this greenery and and just thanking God for all these things that He had done for them and. And, and I'm thankful for the provision of God. And, and I think it's a good thing. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. We see throughout Scripture of celebrating what God has given us. Amen. And I, I think it's, it's great to celebrate what God has given us. God has provided for us. And, and this is this occasion here. It's almost like our, uh, our Thanksgiving that in our time of Thanksgiving in November, we celebrate the harvest. We, we thank God for what, God has, what He has given us. And, and we thank God for all the blessings in our life. And, and that's what was taking place here. They're, they're thanking God for everything that He has done. As they're there and they, they begin to offer up their first fruits, they, uh, they would typically read this passage uh, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 26 and in this text, 
Um, it begins with the story of Jacob, and uh, or as, as they would uh, retell the story, they, they begin uh, the, their uh, celebration with the story of Jacob and how he worked for Laban. And then it goes, they would go into Deuteronomy 26, and they would talk about how God had brought them out of Egypt, and he provided for them in the wilderness, and now God was always there for them, uh, no matter what they were uh, going through, and they were uh, celebrating the provision of God. But what they would then do is they would turn their attention away from the harvest, and they would turn it to something else that, although it's not written for us in Scripture, it was a celebration of the giving of the law. In Scripture, we don't see this tide. Uh, we, we don't see the, the the feast of weeks or the Shabbat. Um, we, we don't see that uh, mentioned as the day of the giving of the law. But traditionally, we see through the, the rabbis, especially uh, the, the earliest that we do see it is a. 150 BC. It's it's written at that time uh, in some some uh, writings that have been found that uh, these celebrations, this feast of weeks, the Pentecost. It was not just a celebration of the first fruits. It was not just a celebration of the harvest, but their prayers would turn from celebrating what God had provided for them to thanking God for giving them the law. The law that had had been given to Moses on Mount Sinai, their their prayers would turn to that. And in fact, even today, this is is the highlight of, of, of what the Jews would be celebrating on this day is the giving of the law. That... When Moses went up to Mount Sinai that God wrote for him on the tablets of stone and and he spoke to him for 40 days as he was up there on the mountain and he gave him the law by which we that would which they would receive life and they would receive instruction and 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 that was the celebration so when we get into the time of Jesus this Passover I'm, I'm sorry, this day of Pentecost was not just a celebration of the harvest, but it was a celebration of the law, a celebration of the covenant that God had made with his people dating all the way back to the time of Moses. Now, I want to just take a look at at that, uh, the significance of that old covenant of that old law that had been given to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. In this passage here, we see that Moses is up on Mount Sinai. It says that he, being God, gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone that were written with the finger of God. This passage here is, is, is talking about the Ten Commandments that, uh, that were written by God, by God's very hand, and they were written there, and, and we could recite the Ten Commandments, we could 
uh, we, could, we could talk about uh, the importance of those things and how they have shaped human history uh, ever since then. It is uh, even today still shaping and has shaped what America looks like and what the law or what the, the world's laws even look like. But the law was not just those Ten Commandments. The law encompassed so much more than that. Moses, he was up on the mountain. He was, he was there communing with God for 40 days. And God, he, he in part, he, he, he wrote down these, uh, these laws, these, these ten commandments that the people were to follow. But God also instructed Moses in, in so much more than that. In the, the building of the, temp, or the, the tabernacle, in the festivals and the, the, the feasts that they were to celebrate. And, and we see then Moses begin to record the books of Genesis as God revealed to him through uh, revealed to him what, what took place from the beginning of time up until then. And then we see the book of Exodus that is recorded by Moses and, and uh, Leviticus and then Deuteronomy and uh, and we are in numbers in the Deuteronomy. And in these five books, those would encompass the what, uh, what would be called the Torah. Or what is, uh, what is also commonly uh, known as, as the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch or the Torah are these first five books of our Bible. It's the five-fold vessel. And within the Feast of Pentecost was also a celebration of this law, the Pentateuch, a celebration of, uh, of these first five books that were given uh, to the people. And, and it, was, it was that, that they received, from which they received life. They, they, even today, there's, uh, there's uh, Jewish traditions to, to read the text of Scripture. And there's, there's, a, there's passages from the beginning and the end of each of these books that they would read. And just, just about five to seven verses from the beginning of each book and, the, and at the end of each book. And, and it's, it's bringing a, a, a summary of, of the, the writing of, or the, the reading of this whole law that was given. But this law, it was, it was given to them that that they could serve God and that as long as they served God and were committed to Him, that God would be committed to them. There were all of the, uh, all of the different uh, types of offerings that were instituted in the law. We see in the book of Leviticus specifically the, the different things that the priests had to do. Has anybody here ever read the book of Leviticus and you get partway through it it's like and there's a lot of a lot of detail that's written down there there's there's a lot of detail of, of some of these things that uh that they uh, had to do and they could not do this and some of it you know seems rather trivial you can't you can't pair this type of garment with uh you know th- this material of garment with uh with this material in your garment and 
uh, and, and you have to uh, you have to make sure that your uh, your head is shaved and, and but but not don't shave this part of your head and then and in fact never cut those uh, those tendrils of your hair and you have different things that somewhat seem tedious at times but as long as they kept the law it was promised that God would be with them it was promised that that God would always be there for them and that this law that was written on stone in that day it was these list of rules and by the time by the time that you get to the first century church or the first century Jews it was not just the five or the, the ten commandments and it wasn't just the, uh, the the law that Moses had given them but they had broken it down even further they had Hundreds and thousands of different rules that were breaking down how to worship God. You know, what, what does it mean, the day of rest? What, what does the day of rest mean, the, the Passover? What institute or what, what constitutes rest? Can you, can you go out and... Uh, and go for a walk on the day of rest. Can you can you go and visit your your neighbor? Can you can you do any of you know what what constitutes the day of rest? And and so they they broke all this down and they they had all these things to the very minute detail of of what it meant to worship God and 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 they had all this and it's written down how to worship God. And what it it became was. Following the rule book. It became simply following the rule book on how to live for God and how to have relationship with God. It was a covenant that was written on stone and it was given to Moses, but it became something that they would just do out of obedience and not relationship. That's what the old covenant became. In fact, we see, we see David write about this in, in the book of Psalms where, where David says, God, you don't desire, God, you don't truly desire just an offering. God, you want, you want the heart of man. David understood where, where things were going and that there were people that they would offer up a certain offering, but if they didn't do it with the right heart, then God, he, he didn't care really about the offering. God wanted to know what what's the heart, where where is the heart at, and and yet this the old covenant became just a set of rules and 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 these different things that they had to do and and as long as you followed this and this and this then then you were okay with God and and, and the, at least in the eyes of man. That's not what God had intended. All of that. It was instituted for a purpose and for a reason, but it was a foreshadowing of what God really wanted to do and, and the relationship that God really wanted to have with his people. We see that uh, prophesied of in Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 31 of that chapter, we see it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, that after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write it in their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God said, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to put it on the inward parts. It says, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What a promise. He's, he says, we're going to... He was prophesying here of a, of a time when it would not merely be a bunch of rules that you would follow that in order to have relationship with God, but rather it would be something that's written on the heart of man, an experience that you would have. We see the old covenant was a foreshadow of a greater covenant that could only come through Jesus Christ. Now, I was speaking of, of the, the book of Leviticus and the, the, the priest and the role of the priest. And the role of the priest was to help the people to come and, 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 uh, and come to God, to be a mediator between the people and God. The role of the priest was, uh, was to play that, that part that would help connect the people of Israel to the God that they served. But we see that coming to one person or coming to uh, the priesthood, it was not, that was not the ultimate plan. It was not the ultimate plan to have just a priesthood of people through which people could have connection with God. But this was foreshadowing the day when Jesus Christ would become the high priest. When Jesus himself would become the high priest forever. We read about this in Hebrews chapter 7. In fact, if you were to read the whole, uh, whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 7, it's, it's talking about uh, how Jesus, uh, though he was not of the tribe of Levi, he came of a different priesthood, a different line of priests, uh, which was after the order of Melchizedek, which even preceded uh, the, the time of Moses. But let's, uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. It says, because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. That there were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him, that he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. That Jesus, all this was pointing to the fact that Jesus could become the priest. And all this is foreshadowing. All that old covenant was coming to the point where Jesus could step in as our high priest, bringing in a new covenant in a new way that we could interact with God. He became our mediator. He became the one through which we are able to have relationship with God. See, this, this book of Hebrews 
really the whole book of Hebrews is, uh, is laying out the, uh, how God established the old covenant but was bringing us into a new covenant. In this new covenant, we, we read uh, how in, in Hebrews chapter 8, this is pointing back to that prophecy in Jeremiah. At, and he, he's talking here about how he's pointing to the day when this prophecy was fulfilled. It's beginning here in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 8. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them up out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. So he's saying that old covenant, it was not perfect. It was not the end product of what I had designed, but it was leading to something else. Let's go to verse 10. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, that I will put the law, my laws, into their mind. You say that with me? Put my, their laws into their minds. Okay? Put my laws. God says, I'll put my laws into their minds. And I will write them where? In their hearts. So God says, no longer is it just going to be something written on stone. No longer is it just going to be something that lays out every little minutia of detail of how to worship God, but I want to write my law on their minds, and I want to write it on their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Verse 11, they shall not teach every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. This ought to sound familiar. This was the prophecy from Jeremiah. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant. He that made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Through him, uh, through this passage we, we, we see him referring to how Jesus, him that made the first old him that made the first covenant old, Jesus Christ, he did away with the old covenant. He was fulfilling that prophecy from Jeremiah that old covenant would be obsolete. But what he's doing is, in the new covenant, is writing this covenant, writing, uh, writing it in our minds and in our hearts. We see... These two things, the mind and the heart. The mind, to write it in our minds is the illumination of, of, of God, the, the revelation of who He is. But it's a, it's a mindset change that takes place. That when you come into a, this new covenant, there's a mindset change that happens. In fact, in Romans 12, 2, it talks about the mindset change that takes place under the new covenant. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye 
transformed, right? How? By the renewing of your minds. It's a renewal of your mind. It's a new mindset that you have that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Under the new covenant, there's a mindset change that happens. But not just a mindset change. There is also a heart change. He says, I will write my covenant on your hearts. So no longer is it just going to be head knowledge and something that's written in the, in the books for us to follow this and this and this in order to worship God. But now it's something that you can experience. Something that's written in the heart, on in the inward parts. It's, it's an experiential type of thing. It's not just head knowledge at this point. But you experience the new covenant. You experience this. And so what happened for the people of the new covenant to be able to have a renewed mind and an experience in their hearts? We see it on the day of Pentecost. The sign of the new covenant came on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6, we see it referred to a better promise. It says, now that now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much he also is the mediator of a better covenant. This is Jesus, a better covenant which was established, okay, what was this new covenant established upon? Better promises. The promise of the Father was that which Jesus told them to go and wait for in Jerusalem, right? He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, The promise that he was talking about, the better promises that are attached to the new covenant as the sign of the new covenant is the infilling of the Spirit of God. Now in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see that the Spirit of God gives us power. There is power that you would receive. He says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. There is a power that you receive with the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And this was a better promise, a sign of the new covenant, a sign of having a renewed mind and an experience in your heart. A renewed, or a, a um, that God, He would write His covenant on our hearts. So we see this take place. We, we already read the first scripture in Acts chapter 2, but let's, let's just read a couple more there. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was the sign of the new covenant that they were coming into. That renewing of your mind, the experience of the heart, the experience that becomes something that you don't just have to tell 
your brother about, as it told us in Jeremiah. It's, it's not going to be something you just have to tell them about, but you get to experience it for yourself, and, and they ought to experience it for themselves. You can't just teach this. See, you can't, you, you can try to explain, you can try to explain what it's like to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but you can't really explain it without experiencing it. You can't really understand it without experiencing it. There, you can't fully comprehend what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God without an experience. And that's what they were saying in Jeremiah. That's what the writer of Hebrews was pointing back to Jeremiah to say, that, that this is something that you can't just tell your brother about and them understand it fully. No, this new covenant is something that all of us, it says, it doesn't matter if you are poor or if you're rich, every demographic you ought to experience this new covenant. See, now, in that day of Pentecost, we see there were three signs that accompanied that initial experience. We saw the sound of a rushing mighty wind. We saw the appearance of divided flames of fire that sat upon their heads. And then the third experience that we read about was the speaking in unlearned languages. And that third sign is the one that we see recur Throughout every time in the New Testament church, they would receive somebody uh, was recorded as receiving the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter eight, in Acts chapter ten, and Acts chapter nineteen. All of these instances here, we see the speaking in tongues as the sign that they would receive the Holy Ghost. We see this still today as the experience of of those who would receive the Holy Ghost, the sign that we would receive the Spirit of God is, is that you would speak in a language that you do not know, in an unlearned language. That is the initial sign of the Holy Ghost. But it's not the only sign because it also is accompanied with a change of mind and a change of heart. And we see that take place in the new believers who just days before, weeks before, had been hiding out because Jesus was was arrested and they're running away, nowhere to be found. They're scared for their lives and all of a sudden they receive the Holy Ghost and things change. You see a people that were once afraid of being arrested to be thrown in jail left and right. Why? Because they're, they're preaching Jesus. They're, they're not fra- afraid at all. They're, something changed in them. Something dramatically changed when they received the gift of the, of the Spirit of God. Their lives were radically altered. And it says that they began to gather together. In fact, if we could go there in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many signs, wonders and signs were done by the apostles. God worked through them to do mighty things. Their lives were radically altered when they received the Holy Spirit. Now on this Pentecost Sunday, we can look back and, and, and read about the history of the church and how it started. And we can read about the old covenant and bringing it into the new covenant. What about today? What about today? Is it still happening today? 
If we look from the first century to now, from that first century church to now, you can look through the history and you find that the only example that we have for belonging to the church of Jesus Christ is that of the New Testament church. I don't, I don't want to go to, uh, to other uh, places of, of church history for, uh, for what it might mean. Now I want to go to the first experience of what it takes to belong to the church. That experience of the first century church has continued to exist from that day until now. That experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost has continued from that day until now. In modern Pentecostal movement, it began at the turn of the 20th century with the desire to restore that which they experienced in the first century. We see those, uh, we see some individuals, Charles Parham, William Seymour, Evan Roberts. We see these individuals, these preachers, who they began to... uh, they, they, they had those around them that wanted to restore that initial experience. And we see it wasn't them that first received it, but rather, uh, rather a couple ladies that uh, Agnes Osmond being the first one under Charles Parham, who she received the gift of the Holy Ghost on January 1st, 1901. And on that day, the Holy Ghost was poured out and we saw then a revival that happened in the in Azusa uh, on, on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California. We saw God pouring out His Spirit on every nation, tribe, and tongue. We saw that happen on that day, and a worldwide revival happened from that day until now. The latter reign of the Holy Ghost is still being poured out today, and we see and experience it today just the same way that they did in the first century church because there were a people that said, we want to experience it the way they did. And they began to pray and said, we've never spoken tongues, but I read in scripture where it says that they spoke in tongues. And so I believe I can speak in tongues. And they began to pray and God filled them with the Holy Ghost the same way that he did in the very beginning. See, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says that a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I will give you a soft heart, not a hardened heart. Not, not a heart that's just about following rules, but I, I want to give you a heart that, that it, it beats for me. It loves me. It's connected to me. I, I want to give you something that your, your, your spirit is renewed. And God, if you have not experienced that today, let me tell you that God, he wants to fill you with his spirit. He can take the, 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 the hardened heart that you, that you might have or the, the heart where, where you feel like You need something more. And God says, I have it for you today. If our musicians could come, we're going to close. I want to close this out here just with a a simple prayer. Believing and looking forward to what God has in store for us today. If you have not received the gift of the Holy Ghost, this promise is for you. And I'm setting this up right now in this point of the service believing that before you leave this place today that you are going to be filled with the Holy Ghost and experience it the same way that they did on that day when God brought us into a new covenant. And it's no longer just about religion. This isn't, this isn't about religion. It's not about following a set of rules. It's about 
His Spirit coming, living in you, and Him transforming your mind and transforming your heart. And when you do that, when you begin to surrender yourself to God and say, God, here I am, and you repent of your sins and you, you say, God, I'm ready, God, for everything that you would have for me, then at that, at that moment, come on, God begins to transform to transform the, the, the inward parts of you. And, to, and in fact, could we just we stand all in this place? I believe that God has a promise and He's preparing our hearts right now. He's preparing our hearts for what He's about to do in this place to, to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost for the very first time. And when there's somebody here today who you need to be refilled with the Holy Ghost, you need to experience it all once again. Amen. And God wants to fill you with His Spirit today. Amen. If you believe that right now, would you just lift up your hands? Would you just lift up your hands and believe that God has this promise still today? Jesus, I worship you, God. God, I, I know, Lord, that you're ready, Lord, to pour out your Spirit in this place. Lord, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds. God, help us to respond to you. God, help us to believe. God, help us to to have, Lord, that expectation, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit, God, and that I could walk out of this place different, changed, new.
that there is absolutely nothing in this world that is better, better than Jesus Christ. There is nothing better, amen, than coming into the place of his presence. Amen. Or we can experience God here in this place and not just experience him, amen, in the atmosphere, but I can have him right here in the depths of my soul. I can have it today. Amen. You can walk out of this place completely changed. Living under the new covenant where his promises are written on your mind and they're written on your hearts amen god is so good god is so good to us amen if you could just just uh here today i want you to wonder if you could just greet somebody in the name of the lord amen be seated here today as we transition in this service here today Come up, we'll get ready to take up tithes and offerings. I don't know about you, but I'm excited for what I've already felt in this place. Amen. Can't help but get excited and have a level of expectation on Pentecost Sunday. Amen. Lord, we want to thank you, God, for this opportunity, Lord, to be able to worship with our finances today. And we just ask, Lord, that you bless these tithes and offerings, Lord. Let it be used to further your kingdom. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And we've got some video announcements.